Our guest this week, according to AdAge Magazine, is a marketing technology trailblazer. He's a B2B thought leader who has executed go-to-market strategies for companies like iHeartMedia, TransUnion, and Microsoft Business. He's the author of the book, Are Your Leads Killing Your Business?, which is a number one seller on Amazon in over 10 categories. So here to discuss B2B revenue strategies that work in today's economy, please welcome the founder of Modern Revenue Strategies, Mark Osborne. Welcome to the Engaging Personalities Podcast. I'm Anders Belanger, founder and CEO of Engageify, where we're on a mission to rehumanize business through engagement. We believe that we can all be more successful if we can command attention and deepen connection. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on a future episode. So let's get ready to engage. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thanks so much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you could be here. So I want to start talking about your book because it's such a, um, you know, normally you think of leads as the lifeblood of sales. And here you are with this, you know, are leads killing your business? Uh, I just, I, it's just, it's such a huge opening. I want to start there, Mark. So um, yeah. what, what, what is your take on this? What is the spin? What, how are leads killing people's businesses? Sure. So in, in the B2B space, I'm sure you've experienced this and your, and your listeners have too, in that there's this obsession with more. I need more leads. Um, and what we have seen working with companies over the last you know 20 years is that this obsession with quantity uh, sort of masks a problem with quality. Uh, and the, the best companies, and this has really been accelerated um, with the data and technology that's out there and available and, and sort of the systems that the, the market leaders have built that allow them to identify those, those best opportunities, really those good leads, those 20% of leads that are going to generate 80% of your business. And so then they can focus 80% of their effort on that 20% and so win those at a higher rate. And here's why that's so important is those leads that aren't really the best qualified, they don't ever really understand your value proposition. Uh, and so as a result, they want to negotiate a lower rate. And then because they don't really align with your sort of product vision, they want you to do customization of the solution for them. And then finally, they were never really bought into the benefits. They never really aligned with your worldview of why you solve a problem in a particular way. So they wind up churning. And so they required a lot of resources to close those leads. They then required a lot of resources to service them at a really low margin because they had negotiated really low rates. And then ultimately they don't serve as a source of referrals or testimonials and they, they don't renew or expand their relationship with you. So when that makes up a significant portion of your lead volume, you're really getting pulled further and further behind the marketplace because the best leads in the marketplace are likely to align with your vision for where the market is heading, the types of solutions you should be building. They're excited to grow with you and with your product vision for innovation uh, instead of detracting you from that, uh, requiring customization that no one else wants that doesn't really align with the market. They're willing to pay what you're worth because they understand the benefit that they're gonna get from that. And so you have the margins to actually innovate on their behalf, as well as the rest of your clients. 
And then ultimately, they're happy to serve as a, a source of referrals or testimonials, which helps you really grow and dominate the marketplace. And so companies that haven't sort of recognized this and built the systems that allow them to sort of recognize those you know, really best opportunities are sort of chasing leads that wind up killing their business. Gotcha. So it really is focusing on that ICP fit, right? That that you want, and and I mean it's it's one of those things where and I and I I always talk about trade shows because that's that's the world I come from. Is like how do you attract just the right people, right? You know, we we often are are catching them in a net, right, and sorting and sifting after the fact, you know. But a lot of times those ICP wrong fits get put into the machine and that's what machine breaks down is kind of what you're saying. So I've always heard, you know, that 50% of your marketing budget is wasted, except you don't know which 50%. Um, you know, is that still the case or are we now in a new place because of the analytics, because of, you know, um, well, we, uh, maybe we'll get to attribution later, but um, if you, if you want to kind of, what's your, what's your take on that? Are we still seeing that today? So, there's less waste, um, but the you know the what I have seen over the last few decades is there's this sort of pendulum swing between kind of direct response, easily measurable and attributable media that doesn't really grow your brand, uh, and then there's the other end of the spectrum which is very brand focused, but it's very hard to track back how much is that driving your business, and so you know. With the advent of the internet and all of the sort of data that became available about customer intent through you know search queries and and all of these things, uh, the pendulum really swung towards this you know directly attributable uh, side. But what a lot of marketers realized was that they need to grow their brand. They need to grow category demand. Um, oftentimes, there's sort of a, a market leader. It's growing the demand for the whole category and everyone else is just using direct response uh, sort of strategies and tactics to sort of draft off of that demand creation that the market leader is doing. But if you want to lead your market, um, you need to be able to create demand for your category that you can on then also capture. And so I, I think that there is less wastage than there used to be. That want to make a quote of 50% of my uh, marketing's wasted. I just don't know which half, you know, that that's, I, I want to say from like the thirties or forties, like yeah. it's, it's old. super old. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there probably is less wastage. However, I still think that there's a, a real opportunity for brands to do a better job of balancing their two objectives uh, and, and companies, they have to build demand for their category and for their brand for the long term. Uh, and they have to drive sales that keep the light on for the short term. Uh, and I think that that pendulum swing towards really directly attributable and trackable media means there's probably less wastage, but it also led to there being a, a missed opportunity in the market around building the brand. And, and now I see that pendulum swinging back that way. And there's a lot more emphasis on brand building uh, for market leaders. And now they're trying to become more sophisticated with how do we measure the impact of less direct response uh, vehicles at driving our brand equity? And then how do we connect that brand equity uh, to the business outcomes that we care about? Yeah. And, and really, I think this is that lead gen, demand gen kind of thing that's happening, right? And 
And I see that shift, you know, in the marketplace to more of this demand gen where we can't really attribute and then we don't, you know, but, and also more of the free content, not gated podcasts, for example, being things that you're, you're putting out there. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like it's hard. Like, how do you, how do you talk to the C-suite into doing something like that, that they can't see the immediate ROI impact? Like that, that's gotta be a challenge. And so it, it can be challenging. What I find is that first you sort of start with the mental model uh, and, and sort of explaining, you know, do you believe that you have two, two jobs, the job to build the brand and the job to drive sales? And some of them don't. And if they don't, maybe I'm not going to be the person that's going to change their fundamental belief pattern. And maybe they're not going to be in business that long. Um, and so you, you sort of, you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't mm -hmm. make it drink. And so if they don't sort of believe in that fundamental thing, that's a whole nother challenge. But once they believe in that, then you can start to sort of approach it from the perspective of, so we now know this is the challenge we need to solve. What are some data points that we can use uh, to sort of measure that? And a lot of early stage brands don't have, you know, brand equity or brand health tracking uh, mechanisms in place, but there are inexpensive ways to do that. There are also inexpensive ways to think about proxy, uh, like what's a proxy for our brand health? And so things like what's the volume of searches uh, that we get with our, with our branded keywords? Uh, and even if it's not your brand name, it's, you know, sort of a, a phrase that you've branded or an approach that maybe you're starting to build some brand equity around. You can start to understand, well, if we're shaping the conversation through search, uh, you know, looking at that volume of search or even social listening tools uh, that uh, people will often use and they see that as valuable, well, you can glean some data from that that serves as a proxy for brand equity. Uh, also, what volume of your leads are coming from word of mouth? What volume of your leads are coming from organic search? What volume of your leads are coming from purely paid, you know, cold traffic? When you start to look at that mix, that's when you start to really understand, am I doing both parts of my job? Growing the brand equity as well as growing uh, my direct response. So now we've got some data that we can use. Now we can build an analytical model uh, that says, well, as our ability to you know, gain more of the conversation and social goes up, do our revenues go up? And oftentimes there's a relationship. Uh, and it's hard to prove that out as a causal relationship, but it's pretty easy for an executive who has bought into the idea of, I need to do both jobs and changing the social conversation is a proxy that I'm doing that uh, brand equity job. And that three months later, I see my sales go up. I can see those as sort of a, a related uh, fact, if maybe not causal, at least there's a relationship. So that starts to justify this investment uh, and things like that. And it does take some time to bear out, but there's a little bit of, you know, marketing is a lot of making bets. Uh, and so if you can sort of make a bet that all of the data and technology leads you to think is a good bet, then you give it some time to bear out and uh, sort of measure and see how you did. You know, there's something you, you said earlier that it, you know, you, and I said convincing the C-suite, right? And, and part of it is 
with your company, you know, if you're doing the marketing right with the with the demand gen side of it, or the I should say, you know, the content. Probably the reason you're in the room in the first place is someone heard about you, <laughs> you know, or there was some word of mouth, and you're gonna be talking to the right people in the first place, which you know I think is kind of the first point you made. So, um, which is which is so important. Well, and that's also you talked about, you know, how do you attract the right people instead of casting a wide net, mm -hmm. and so then you're you know sort of having to sift through. One of the ways that, that we see companies really do that effectively is through really having, you know, and in the B2B services or technology SaaS space, it's, you know, it's a product vision. It's a buying vision. Like, where do you believe the market is heading? And so when you can enunciate that clearly as part of a differentiated positioning strategy that talks about why you matter, the benefits that customers get from working with you, how those are different than what they would get from the competition, your reasons to believe and sort of proof points that they have to sort of buy into that, then that starts to attract the companies or, you know, the potential customers that have the same sort of worldview. Mm -hmm. uh, and they tend to believe, yeah, the market is heading in that direction. And because of that, this way of solving it is the right way to solve it. Well, it turns out you chose to solve a problem in a particular way because of the way you think the market is heading. You enunciate that well in the marketplace, you'll attract the people that uh, are aligned with you there. That makes for sales that sell themselves. That makes for people that are you know, happy to pay the premium uh, that you want to charge for it. And again, people that are happy to sort of renew for more because they're aligned with your product vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get that, that leverage of the right, the right people. Uh, now, everyone, you know, especially in the well, in tech, for sure, everyone wants to blitz scale and everyone wants to go hard real fast and they're looking for growth hacks and they're looking for ways of, I don't know, cutting corners or speeding things up. Um, you know, what's, what's, your, what's your take on it? Is that something you subscribe to or do you kind of have a, a, a different approach for growth? Yeah, I, I have seen uh, this, again, this evolution. So I got very deep into using, you know, data and technology for marketing uh, and really sort of prided myself on this idea of, you know, uh, the original idea of growth hacking was essentially that you could measure responses uh, and then you could double down really aggressively on those bets that paid off. Talking about any sort of thinking in bets. Mm -hmm. It turned into though, more of gaming an algorithm or trying to find some, some trick that no one else had mm -hmm. heard of or that Google hasn't figured out yet. Well, you're not going to outsmart Google, not for long. You're not going to outsmart Facebook, not for long. And so I, what I've seen is that this evolution towards growth hacks, not growth hacking, but instead of trying to find some hack to gang, game an algorithm, that's really not a sustainable strategy. You know, in 2014, the MarTech conference sort of published a landscape of like all of the marketing technology and marketing data providers, um, Scott Brinker and his team, there was about 150 companies on that. Last year, there were over 10,000. All of these are companies claiming to have that hack, that silver bullet, that game of the algorithm that's going to you know sort of transform your business and, and deliver results. And that's just not how it works. I mean, I was so deep into that, as you called out, Ad Age Magazine named me a marketing technology trailblazer. I was one of the top 25 people in the world at using data and technology to hack growth. But what I found was that the real growth 
comes from systems and systems that are built on solid marketing principles mm. uh, that are scalable, repeatable. Uh, and that's how you really deliver that consistent, you know, doubling every year, which is what early stage companies need to do uh, to keep investors happy. You, you might get a pop every once in a while on a growth hack or something uh, gaming the algorithm, but then it kind of brings you back down to baseline. Whereas if you're building a system that's constantly improving and constantly getting better, that's how you really get a trajectory that moves up. And when you bring multiple systems together, each of which is, which is making you know, incremental improvements every two weeks, and they compound on each other, that's how you get to that doubling. Yeah, you know, and, and there's something you talked about the the 150 companies to the what 10,000 companies, you know, in this last list that you're talking about. I would love to know what is the churn on those companies because oh, yeah. right as those like as those loopholes are closed, they stop working, and therefore I'm sure another company comes in its place, you know, for whatever. And I have to say, back in the day, we're going way back. You know, uh, I was using some like link farms and things from my website. And then sure. I don't know if it was Panda or Penguin, you know, from first page to like 10th page and like, bang, just like that. So I, I get it. <laughs> I've, I've been on the wrong end of, of that sort of thing. So, you know, Mark, you're talking about, about systems um, and systems that are built on solid foundation. And, and I don't, I don't, we don't need to get too tactical, but like, we're talking kind of big picture the whole time. And then these growth hacks, we kind of get the idea of, you know, these little one-off things here and there. What are some of the systems that you think are so critical um, that we need to, you know, have that solid footing, have, you know, to, to support our growth? Absolutely. So we work with clients to really sort of create priority and, and we really sort of strive to, you know, double revenues in, in as little as 90 days. And we sort of offer a 10x ROI guarantee because if we can't find an opportunity to have a 10x return on your investment with us, maybe maybe we shouldn't work together um, because we're pretty confident we can find those opportunities. And the way that we do that, though, is by using benchmarks to diagnose where is the best opportunity. And so we start by really understanding, is it attraction systems? Do you need to attract more of the right prospects? Is it acceleration systems? Do you need to accelerate uh, the sales opportunities through the sales pipeline and, and make sure you're closing at a higher dollar amount? Or is it activation systems? You need to activate more of your clients for more renewals, upsells, referrals, uh, and, and all of those other things that really sort of lead to market domination. And so we use you know, some standard benchmarks of, you know, what is your cost to acquire a customer? Is it at you know, is your lifetime value of the customer at least three to one of your costs mm -hmm. to acquire? Or if you're a really new company, uh, is your you know first year revenues from that customer uh, more than or equal to that cost to acquire? If that's not right, you got a problem. Uh, what's your source of leads up about uh, that upper uh, end? Is more than fifty percent of your leads coming from any one opportunity or any one source? Well, th there's some risk there. So that's a little diagnostic up there. And as we think about, you know, moving through the, the sales systems or those acceleration systems, it's, you know, what does your, you know, from lead identified to, you know, presentation to, uh, you know, negotiation and close, what do each of those ratios look like? Are you getting at least 50% of your qualified leads to a presentation? If not, 
there might be a problem with your qualification process and you're wasting a lot of time there. And if you're not you know, closing a significant volume of those proposals, what's wrong with your proposal process? Mm -hmm. So we can sort of help diagnose that and also looking at you know, what's the average length of time uh, that takes place there. So we can really think about that pipeline quality before we start thinking about the volume and the velocity uh, of that pipeline. Uh, and then as we look at sort of the renewals, upsells, referrals, we sort of diagnose a healthy business churns, you know, no more than 20 percent uh, of their of their customers at any you know sort of time period. And it depends on your business, like if they're renewing every month or if they're sort of annual renewals, that sort of starts to make sense. And then we also uh, say a healthy business has at least 30 percent of their uh, lead form or lead flow coming from referrals. So if you're churning greater than uh, 20% or if you don't have at least 30% of your leads coming from referrals, well, you've got a significant you know, sort of problem in those. So just diagnosing right there creates a lot of priority. And so for a lot of uh, clients, they don't, they don't know where to begin on building systems uh, to sort of accelerate revenues. The, that diagnostic can, can really sort of bring uh, some things to light. And then we can start to get in what's the critical customer flow of that stage, that attraction, acceleration, activation, and then die, you know, sort of find where we have KPIs at each stage of that critical customer flow, come up with hypotheses of how to improve those KPIs, and then start to implement the strategies and tactics on, you know, weekly, bi-weekly sprints uh, to achieve that. And, and when you really get that system in place, that's constantly sort of reevaluating, did we you know, achieve what we wanted to, have we improved these metrics enough to move into another area? Do we have the bandwidth to tackle multiple areas at once? That's how you really get this, uh, you know, sort of Kaizen constant improvement that leads to this doubling of revenues over time. And that's a big project. That's there's a there's a lot there, and I, I know that was a big question to ask without you know going down the rabbit hole too much. <clears throat> Pardon me. There's there's something you said too about you know referrals, thirty percent referrals. Now. I'm going to inject my own company into this just a little bit because I, I find that our clients want to keep our services as their own little secret weapon. Right. If someone was was like that, like how how can you maybe you know um, promote more referrals in kind of those weird B two B situations that someone else might find themselves in? For sure. So that is a unique challenge uh, and and one that. Um, you, you have to be careful with because if part of the benefit they get is that you're a secret, it, it's hard for them to make referrals. However, um, oftentimes I see that even businesses that feel that way, not all of their customers feel that way. Uh, so right. for some customers, that's one of the benefits and for others, it's not. Uh, and so by having some systems that you can use to diagnose is this a company that likes us being part of their secret sauce? Uh, and if so, well, then we don't, you know, sort of ask them for the same type of referrals. However, mm -hmm. oftentimes they're happy to refer you outside of their industry. Uh, and they are sort of happy to talk about, you know, the work in, in, a, in a less public environment that you've done together. Uh, and so that they can sort of serve as that source of social proof and, and justification there. But we find that so often the system that's lacking is literally just a system of asking. Are you asking for referrals on a, on a regular basis? And are you doing it in a way 
that enables them to do it easily and shows them benefits. And so when you think about, well, what's the benefit of them making a referral for you? Well, for starters, you get to invest in improving the product for them. And so if you talk about the you know, innovations that you're doing on their behalf and you talk about this is only possible because we're growing, uh, then they can start to understand the benefit of being in that ecosystem. The other thing that we uh, work with companies to do too is to understand you know, what's your cost to acquire a customer. And so if you think about the cost of, you know, whether it's buying ads to cold traffic or generating content that, you know, sort of nurtures uh, opportunities or you know, traveling to conferences to uh, speak and present. When you think about all those costs together, and if someone could make a referral that would essentially turn into a new customer because it's coming from a trusted source, maybe you can give that as a discount to that person uh, and to that customer as, you know, sort of giving them a discount on their continuing services in exchange for the referral they made for you, you actually wind up with a net positive for your company. Uh, mm -hmm. And they walk away feeling like you did something really special that other people aren't willing to do. Uh, and so it, it can be a real win-win scenario. The other thing we find too is when a company comes to you through a referral relationship, then they are getting the vibe of, Referrals are part of the part of the deal here. Yeah, so nice. Culture. Yeah, it creates a culture overall, and and we even you know sort of talk about at, when you close the first deal, uh, you talk about how you want to deliver you know whether it's a product or a solution, an outcome that's so amazing that they're going to want to refer, uh, and then you're going to ask for that referral, uh, and so that you already sort of put yourself on the hook for asking for it. But also you give them, you know, sort of a sense of, uh, I guess, you know, anticipation that they're going to get a good outcome so good that you're going to ask for a referral out of it. And so just sort of having that mindset, but you, you build that mindset by installing systems in your business that ensure that you're asking for that referral in the right ways at the right times uh, to all those different customers. Those are some great suggestions. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. I got a little free consulting right there, uh, Mark. Appreciate it. Um, but I do like that idea of, you know, seeding that moment, you know, on the front end and bringing it back around. And then it's kind of like it gives closure to this kind of like, I told you we'd get here, right? Kind of thing. That's like right. you had a good experience and here we are. I'm asking, right? Um, very cool. Um, now, there's something it was making me think, too, about, you know, how we how buyers have changed, you know, over the past few years and, and maybe some of their, um, how they go about purchasing, buying, yeah. you know, what, what are we seeing right now, Mark out there and how, how has the, you know, landscape shifted and how do yeah. companies need to, to make that adjustment? This was actually one of the, you know, sort of catalysts for writing the book, uh, was although that, you know, we had, we worked in the space for a long time and, and the lead problem that we've talked about already was something that was sort of persistent. There were a lot of trends that were taking place in the B2B space that were really accelerated uh, by the, the COVID-19 lockdowns and the pandemic lockdowns. McKinsey Consulting uh, has said that we advanced some of these trends by more than 10 years in less than 10 months. So if you think about some of the underlying trends that were there, accelerating a 10 year timeline in just 10 months, it's really amazing. And so a lot of B2B companies, when the lockdowns happened, sort of 
put things on pause. They, maybe they did a few more webinars or created a few extra pieces of content or you know, had some adaptation to it. But then when things started moving back to normal and conferences started happening again, they kind of just went back to business as usual. And now they found themselves 10 years behind some of their best competitors, uh, which is, you know, sort of a real challenge for them. Uh, and one of the, you know, some of those trends that we've seen accelerated are uh, that, you know, customers want less and less interaction with vendors. It was not uncommon, uh, you know, even not that long ago for, you know, a large potential customer to call two or three of the top vendors in, in the space when they start to think about evaluating this type of solution and, and ask them, what should I be thinking about? What are the things that I care about? And so companies could hire really skilled salespeople um, and they could, you know, then rely on those salespeople to shape the criteria that the buyers are using to evaluate uh, and then to sort of open that dialogue and, and then to also elicit, you know, all of their needs and, and all of those things as well. But now we see that as much as 70% of the buyer's journey is complete before they ever engage with a single vendor, much less multiple as part of like an RFP process. So if you're not you know, gleaning data off of uh, those companies' behavior, either using intent data uh, or, or other things like that, you're likely to never know uh, that they're even in market. Uh, and so maybe they've mm -hmm. already moved down past the funnel past sort of even evaluating your way of doing things, uh, which makes the content that you're creating and how that content is focused on specific informational needs, specific ICPs, specific, you know, sort of customer, buyer, avatars, or personas, even more important. But the other thing that we've seen too is, in addition to wanting to keep salespeople at arm's length, um, the competitors have gotten so good at using this intent data to really qualify the difference between someone who just downloaded a white paper and isn't really ready to buy yet versus someone who is actively evaluating different vendors. Uh, and if you don't have systems in place to make sure that those that aren't ready to buy yet aren't distracting you from those that are, you're going to get left behind. You're going to wind up chasing the wrong opportunities uh, and really get left behind that process. Wow, that, that whole 70%, that stat that you just said, it just made me think of, and I'm not too sure in my imagination here, it's like it's like the funnel either got, you know, narrower or shorter or, you know, because you're missing that, that lead flow because you're just going to, they're going to walk right past you, right? Like they're going right. well, to miss you. And it. actually, you talk about sort of that length of the funnel. The, actually, the decision-making timeframe has ex expanded. So... Uh, opportunities that uh, used to be sort of evaluated and decided in, you know, six weeks, what might be a typical sort of time frame uh, for someone to go from, we're going to solve this problem. What are different ways we could solve it? What are different vendors uh, that solve it in that way? And, and let's, you know, do some price negotiation between those. That process, it's, that's expanded by at least 20% for most B2B buyers. Uh, and, and part of it is there's so much data and technology underpinning a lot of these, you know, sort of SaaS software as a service or even technology solutions that the buying committees have become much more complex. And so, whereas it used to be that, you know, the owner of a business unit would mm -hmm. go out and evaluate options and make a decision. 
then only to find out that that decision, that solution isn't compatible with their technology infrastructure or with the data that they uh, plan to use for that solution. So now they have to bring in a, a, a technologist from their team to help evaluate and uh, sort of weigh in on the different solutions they're looking at. Not only that, but the sort of intensity of scrutiny around purchases, especially in the current, you know, sort of uncertainty of the marketplace, means that these, you know, owners of business units are, are even less enthusiastic about shouldering the weight of the responsibility of making a decision. And so with there being this kind of zeitgeist of, yeah, it's decision by committee now, they're bringing in even additional people uh, just to sort of diffuse the risk uh, to right. them on being the sole decision maker. The more people you get involved, the longer that spreads it out. But they're doing more of the evaluation process prior to ever having a conversation. Uh, and so if you aren't influencing that conversation, you're even further behind. Yeah, this is starting to get a little depressing. Uh, <laughs> well, and it, I guess it's just, we have to evolve. We have to adapt. We have to get the right systems in place, like you're saying. Um, and, you know, selling to a committee is never any fun, right? It's like, you know, getting a decision made regardless of selling anything by committee is next to impossible. So um, a lot of headwinds out there. What, what's, what's the good news? What's, what's exciting about what's happening out there right now? You know, honestly, you know, there's a there's an old phrase that you know, challenge means opportunity. Um, chaos is a ladder, whatever you want to, whatever quote you want to use. But like, I actually see these, you know, what you might call headwinds as a real opportunity for companies to advance and to take leadership roles because a lot of their uh, maybe even better established competitors have got got complacent. And haven't adapted to these, you know, really dramatic changes that that have happened in the last five years. So there's an opportunity for some kind of mid-tier challenger brands to really rise to the top. Uh, and I also think it's really exciting. You know, I'm very passionate about using technology to make sense of data so that you can have more relevant conversations and more relevant communications between brands and consumers. Uh, and I, I really see that that's one of the things that is coming out of this is there's more and better technology all the time uh, and, you know, more and better data all the time. And so the two of those things coming together means that you can actually be even better about focusing your conversations with your potential customers, about identifying your potential customers when they're really in market, about learning things about your existing customers uh, and knowing that maybe they're at a risk of churning because they're out evaluating uh, other solutions in the marketplace and things you couldn't have known uh, with data only years ago that you can now know and build an analytical model that allows you to sort of score opportunities, score risk and, and make some good bets. You know, that thing you said about rele relevance is so true, right? When you are talking to the right person who's got the problem and you have the solution and it's just it's a magical thing when that all comes together right uh, some uh, on my crm you know a lead score hits a certain number if i can get that person on the phone they're often like oh yeah i love your stuff right yeah. like it's just kind of like yes right like it's 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 so nice when that comes together right and and i think you're right the the technology is allowing us to do that which which is exciting uh, now, before we got on, you said that there was you had a special download or something for yeah. our listeners. Do you want to talk about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we sort of have a, a core value around here is generosity. And you, you talked about, you know, getting some free consulting earlier. We, we like to spend a lot of time with potential clients and, and really just the marketplace at large to share as much value as we can, because we've seen that it's as hard to do the work as it is to know what to do. Uh, and mm. so actually, I'm going to make the whole book available for free uh, to the first your listeners that go to modernrevenuestrategies.com slash free download. Not only will they get the whole book, they'll get a number of sort of templates and calculators and uh, sort of frameworks that we use that they can sort of plug in place so that they can you know start to install it in their business. And I've even got hours of free training videos that come with it. Uh, to sort of help them sort of understand how to install these insights in their business. Uh, because if they see that it's the type of approach that they want, and if they want any external help, uh, then we'd be happy to help them. That is, that is very generous of you, Mark. Thank you so much for that. And we'll, uh, we'll put that in the, the show notes and uh, we, we appreciate your, uh, your offer there. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm going to take you up on it if that's okay. Can I yeah, be one absolutely. of the, I, well, I mean, I'm hearing it first. We haven't even put it in the podcast, so I should be able to sneak in there. I think. Um, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast, Mark. This has been a blast. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Excellent. Well, and thank you to all our listeners for, for joining us. Uh, hopefully you check out uh, Mark's uh, download. I think that would be some really great content. He dropped a lot of great nuggets uh, here on this episode. And well, as you know, what I always say, until next time, stay engaged. Thank you so much for listening to Engaging Personalities. If you believe this world needs more engagement and you're an industry leader or you have an interesting take on rehumanizing business, go to go.engageify.ai slash podcast hyphen guest to apply and come on the show. If you got something out of this interview, do you mind sharing it on your social media? Just grab a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show. Include the hashtag engaging personalities. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any episode. Go ahead and subscribe your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, engageify.ai or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and stay engaged. Thank you.